Thank you for coming here today. It's me, Linda Sage, on Learning From Life. One thing I can promise you, there'll be people to meet over the airways here you'll never forget. Some, as long as you live. Let's just say, most have had what could be termed as an interesting life. It's not what happens, it's how you deal with it. And one line from any of them could change the way you deal with things forever. There'd be landing from all parts of the planet, all ages, backgrounds and experiences. Telling the truth of how it was and how they manage things may just help you miss a rock or two along your road too. Hi and very warm welcome and today we have an amazing guest. I know some of my, all of my guests have been amazing but this lady has got so many hats it is unbelievable. Uh, we've got therapist, trauma specialist, EMDR clinician and transformational speaker, a broadcaster, marketer, all round a fantastic lady. Lou Lebentz, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. I'm not sure I'm going to live up to that <laughs> intro quite, Linda. Yeah, but thank you very much. What a lovely introduction. Oh, yeah, you, you have, I think you can run for your money with hats as, as, as me because you do yes, all sorts I, of things. <laughs> well, I'm never quite sure which hat to wear, but um, yes, it's been a rather interesting 50 odd years on the planet. So I'm hoping that I might have learned a thing or two to be able to impart to your listeners. So uh, let, let's just start a little bit with you, because obviously perhaps not everybody uh, knows who Lou Lebentz is. So no. uh, we can have a look at the personal and the professional side. So let's just go, first of all, surname is intriguing, Lebentz, yes. that's not British. <laughs> yes, it's not British, no. It's Lebentz, but actually it's Lieberheinz is really uh -huh. my surname, which is Love Heinz, I think, in German. But my grandfather on my father's side fought against the Germans in the war and couldn't be called colonel or sergeant or I forget what he was I'm sorry grandpa couldn't be called Lieberheinz in the British army so he mm -hmm. changed it um, and from whence we came I'm not quite sure I think it shows something like 300 years ago we came over to the UK but on my dad's side I'm not very sure and on my mother's side I'm even less sure because um, my mum is a Bernardo's kid and was brought up mostly in an orphanage. So she doesn't know who her father is. And we only met her mother, actually, in uh, when I was about 25. Oh, wow. So you're you're living now in Dorking. Is that where you've come from? Or no, no, I've come from all over. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've lived all over. Um, I've spent about seven years in Italy, um, and I've lived all over London a lot. I was born a Londoner, so I was actually born a Cockney under the 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 old Charing Cross Hospital, and oh, wow. uh, yeah, so I was. Uh, born in London and lived a lot of my life in London, but really grew up in kind of Berkshire, Oxfordshire, and Surrey has been a very later addition. Because ah, so you don't sound like a Cockney. No, I don't sound like a Cockney. No, no, I've managed, I've lost that accent, but it's a shame because I, I, I do quite like a Cockney accent. 
before you got into all the therapies and things like that, uh, you were, were you acting or you went to an acting school? Yes, I, I did. I went to drama school. So I, I always wanted to tread the boards and I spent my very early years um, at drama school up until the ripe old age of 16 when unfortunately my parents divorced and my dad told me to go out and get a proper job. Um, so I, I gave up acting sadly and I went into the rag trade. So I spent my, I, I, I'm sure there's a book in it somewhere, but it's um, from rags to radio to rehab in a nutshell. So I worked for Philip Green and the like in the rag trade. And then I ended up in my mid twenties going into radio and working with Chris Tarrant and Tony Blackburn and at Capital Radio and doing all the parties in the park and the road shows for a good few years, which was great fun. But then I hit 30 um, and uh, I think there was a change of direction needed that kind of happened via uh, a stint up a mountain in Italy with an alcoholic stepfather, would you believe? And then my blossoming into an addictions therapist happened about 35 Wow, so it wasn't a, it wasn't a, an early uh, change then. No, no, I did the rag trade first, and then I did radio, and then I trained in my thirties as an addictions therapist, and I got a job at the Priory Rehab in um, Roehampton in London, and I spent ten years, would you believe, more or less there, most of them on the addiction unit. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I spent a lot of time in addiction and working with people with, you know, drugs and alcohol and every other addiction. And it was a very good training ground for me. And I learned an awful lot, not only about therapy and addiction, but also about my own process and my own underlying trauma. Uh, so, I mean, between Capital Radio and uh, the Priory, you must have some amazing stories. <laughs> I have, but of course, I'm not allowed to tell any of them. <laughs> oh, so, we yeah. have to change the names, that's all. <laughs> yes, well, yes, yes, that's the thing about being a therapist, isn't it? Is yeah. you would never divulge any of your client list. So, um, Yes, I've, I've seen some interesting things and I've heard some very interesting stories and um, very privileged so far to have, have, have helped, I hope, a few people and, you know, learn a bit along my way as well and, um, yeah, overcome a few lessons. I mean, the thing that, that, I, that really led me into therapy was uh, at 24, 25, I... Um, was admitted to my own psychiatric hospital myself, uh, not working in one, um, which was a kind of old school Victorian asylum, if you like, in Epsom. Mm -hmm. And I was admitted there with psychosis. So I, um, yeah, I was very unwell at about 24. And that really led me down the path of starting to be very interested in um, the mind and psychology and I, it took me another 10 years and lots more uh, bottles of Pinot Grigio before I decided <laughs> to train in it and look at my own stuff but yeah that was the opening for me. 
So, so you've gone from addiction, which you've worked a lot in, to trauma. And I know you do a lot of amazing work uh, with trauma survivors. I, I have gone into trauma, yes. And I, I've gone into tra- trauma and deepened my work in it, I believe, because underneath most addictions, I have always found in my gosh, coming up two decades now, that shows my age of working with people, I found that under most addiction sits trauma. So uh, to be a really good therapist, I think you need to work with the cause rather than the symptom. And I very much these days see addiction as a symptom. Um, and I see trauma as the cause. And people think with trauma, you know, it has to be some massive one-off event or you have to have been involved in 9-11 or a war or a tsunami. But actually trauma isn't like that. And trauma is very individual to each person. And what actually um, I see a lot in my work is a lot of what we call small T trauma, which are smaller uh, traumas. But when somebody is grown up in a family where um, they weren't heard or they weren't listened to or they weren't acknowledged or their emotions weren't allowed or they were unseen. Um, And that's what we call small T trauma. And over time, especially in our childhood, if we've got developmental trauma, that's what really has an effect on somebody. Um, And that's what I see much more in my clinical practice. I know that because you do a podcast as well and you write a fantastic blog. And recently you were writing about the, the five types of trauma. Yes. I've I've written about the five different survival reactions to trauma and about how we go into um, two, which a lot of people know, which are fight and flight. But the lesser known reactions to trauma are freeze when we go into rabbit in the headlight and freeze response. Or we also do another two, which are called flop, which is complete submission. Um, And the other latter one, which is less known, is friend. And to friend is when we try and cajole somebody or we try and please them. And friending is the kind of origins of something called codependency, Mm -hmm. which is when we people please all the time and we um, try and make friends with people, even if they're slightly Uh, abusive towards us. So those are our survival responses, really. Fight, flight, freeze, flop and friend. And and yeah, the blog I am getting on traumathrivers.com, a blog going about all the different um, symptoms of trauma, but also uh, the solutions to trauma as well, because there's a lot of solutions out there for people that have experienced trauma. Most definitely, and I think an awful lot of people uh, dismiss it quite quite lightly. Yes, I think trauma is quite difficult to acknowledge and to admit that you've got. I know that it took me personally a hell of a long time, and even being a clinician until I really came to grips or got to grips with my underlying trauma and um, 
how that had affected my nervous system over time. So I think people are very dismissive of trauma, but I think also it's becoming much more widespread, thankfully now, and we are starting to acknowledge it as the underlying cause of lots of people's anxiety or depression, or even their somatic symptoms like fibromyalgia or migraines or, or chronic fatigue. So also when I'm taking a history from a client, I want to go back as far as possible. And I, you know, I know this is always the problem with therapy, but our, our history does inform our present because it sits and it rests in our nervous system. And so we need to look there and we need to look at how can we free up somebody's fight, flight, freeze response and in their nervous system and what might have been carried there. I, th I think what you say is, is uh, so important because you know, when you go back through somebody's history and they're bringing things up, you can actually see the behaviour repeating and repeating. And yet they haven't seen it happen till sometimes yes. you, you pick it out and they're like, oh, I didn't see that before. Yes. Yeah. And um, there are tools, you know, one of the tools that I use, as you know, is EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. Don't worry, don't have to remember that. <laughs> I, can, I can barely remember it myself. But it's a really useful tool because it goes back to the original trauma or the, the event, and it seeks to change the belief that was made at the time of that event because then that belief keeps repeating um, you know, and, and somatically in our bodies, we do hold on to the charges of these unprocessed events. Yeah, very, very much. And it's surprising that but you can either bring them up in a contained situation or they will come out and they will explode. And this is where I think a, a lot of the self-harm uh, and the addictions and the different things start happening. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for me, with my 24-year-old, you know, very traumatised self, I'd had a lot of trauma from early on. Uh, as a child and also as a teenager. And then I had my mum's trauma, which was horrendous as well, um, you know, in that transgenerational aspect. So at 24, my psychosis was actually, for me, looking back, probably a nervous system response that was just kind of blowing the lid off the stack um, because of all of those previous traumas. And that the, the work really... Uh, over the, the years of, of me doing work on myself has been uh, bit by bit to allow those traumas to be metabolized or processed out of my nervous system. Is there any one, because obviously there, there's several major traumas there, but would you say that there's any one that were, was the easiest the trigger? The, 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 e the easiest or the biggest trigger? Well, we could go, go. so the, the easiest, because sometimes it's the easiest one that, that takes you into the deeper ones. Yeah, I think for me, if I'm really honest with you, I think the biggest trauma for me, and, and, and I minimised it for years, and I, and, I, and I said, oh, that didn't really affect me, and um, because it didn't go on for very long. It, it, I think it went on for a year, maybe two years, and it was between the ages of four and six. But actually, 
it came up for me very recently or three years ago when I had ovarian cancer. And I thought I dealt with this memory. And after my surgical menopause and the removal of the ovarian cancer, I went and did a process with a woman called Brandon Bays. And it's called The Journey. And it's a very good three-day event. And I, I, I'd still recommend it to people. I think it's incredible work. And, um, you know, this memory that I thought that I dealt with came up again and I thought, crikey, there's still stuff on it. And it was the memory of an, uh, um, a babysitter that I'd had at the time who unfortunately sexually abused me um, for a couple of years. And, I, and I, that was probably the biggest childhood trauma. And it was really interesting, Linda. But, you know, I thought I'd done so much work on myself. And, you know, I'd, uh, I, I went and I actually reported uh, the, the, this to the police and I, and I made statements. And also I was raped as a teenager. So I, I did a, had a double whammy, yeah. if you like, and, and spoke about both. And I have never, ever cried as much as I cried uh, in my video interview with uh, with the police. And I was, yeah, that completely shocked me. So I suppose that was the biggest trauma. And I think that's why I've done quite a lot of work with sexual trauma and with, you know, childhood sexual abuse and one in four who are a charity in London that I've helped with because... I know really that that has quite a huge impact on somebody's nervous system. So I'm a great believer in in working through that and coming to terms with that and telling the story of that because that is, um, it's a hard story to tell. Yes. Is there a typical client for, for you or obviously this sort of trauma can happen right across the social board, right across the gender board and all sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it does, you know, it does. So um, I would say that I get quite a lot of clients with sexual trauma. I would say that my specialism, if you like, is EMDR and developmental trauma. So that's whether it's physical, emotional, sexual abuse or neglect, I tend to think that all of my clients in some way, shape or form have had some form of early trauma. Um, but also, I mean, I've been full in my trauma practice now for the last six months. So I don't I'm not currently really taking on new private clients because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to write an online program. So I'm really passionate about trying to make trauma treatment more affordable to the masses because I know how much therapy costs. And I, for one, in my healing journey, put all my money and property money and everything that I've made into my healing journey. And I don't really want other people to have to do that. So my plan for the next, hopefully, couple of years is to really see if I can make trauma treatment more affordable and make it online and do that safely so that if there is somebody who can afford £30 a month but they can't afford 300 because let's face it, who can afford 300 yeah. on therapy, they can come onto one of my programs and get the healing that they need 
um, rather than get no help at all, because there isn't that much out there on the NHS for trauma. No, I'm, I'm just going to jump back a little bit there before we talk about the future, because it popped up in my head when you talked about it. The yeah. developmental uh, trauma. Do you get a lot of people on the autistic spectrum on uh, with that? I do. And yes, there is a lot of um, uh, autistic spectrum. In fact, I did an interview with um, Mark Brain, who is a very well-known EMDR trainer a couple of weeks ago, who just got diagnosed with ASD um, at 70. So I know that there's a lot out there. I wouldn't say, Linda, that I am an ASD specialist. So if I do get somebody on the autistic spectrum, I sometimes refer them on to other EMDR clinicians that are more experienced in ASD. Yeah, I, I, I just asked because I know because I, I do quite a lot of work in that area. But yeah. they've had such trauma in the education and developmental years. Yes, of, of bullying and all sorts of things that yes, uh, it just yeah. jumped out when you were talking about yeah. it. Yeah, and and yeah, I know that I work a lot with bullying too, and I as well as part of my childhood had was it extremely bullied. So um, I know that that. Um, has such an impact on people if they are bullied as at school. And um, certainly I use bullying as targets a lot in my EMDR work um, because we hold on to that stuff. Yes. So the future, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I've had to stop because I know we could talk for hours. Yeah, sure we could. That, that, that time just goes. So... You said for the online, which I think is fantastic because we do need so much, and especially now with people going through such a transition in, you know, with, with COVID and everything else. Yes. And, uh, life is so different. That um, how, how are you going to start this off? Well, I'm starting with, um, as you know, Trauma Thrivers. There's a mm-hmm. Facebook group um, of which we've got kind of 1,500 people in so far. So, what I'm doing at the moment is I'm I'm writing a trauma thrivers program, um, and it's more for people that have done a little bit of work on themselves. But like me, um, and and my hardest bit was the end bit, if you like, uh, in learning to have a voice and be visible and step out and tell your story and fully thrive. Um, so it's really the first program will be based on or for people that are at that part of their journey. Um, But the longer term plan is to still write the voyage. And the voyage will be a three part uh, trauma informed journey. And it will be accessible and available for anybody and people that are still struggling and suffering with their trauma who are at the beginning stages. But as as I'm sure you are aware, that's quite an undertaking. So it's not going to be the first step that I'm going to take. It's (laughs) going to be a later step. Something that you can keep adding to. Something that I can keep adding to, but also it needs a lot of time and thought because I I need to work with people online that might still be using alcohol or drugs in some way or maybe self-harming still to manage their mood and to manage their trauma. So there's going to have to be a lot of thought that goes into that to how do we make something 
A, that's affordable, but B, that's safe for those sorts of people. Because a lot of therapists will say you can't do it online because you can't see somebody. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm a bit of a maverick and um, I'm also very, very keen on treating everybody that can't get access via the NHS or other means. So there's got to be some way, Linda. There's got to be some way. Yeah, I, I must admit, I was one of the ones dragging their feet and being scre- uh, uh, screaming into the into the Zoom world. I mean, not for for meetings and things, but to actually work with people. But yes. I've just come to the end of my first um, the the pilot course that I've I've got going. And oh, amazing! That has been fantastic. It has been so amazing that I did I'm sat there thinking what did I do this long time ago (laughs) wow well I'll have to take some notes from you then because you're ahead of me on that game but uh, if uh, just rounding up here obviously you've learned a lot from life and you've given a lot back to people learning from their lives if you went back to that 16 year old that came out of drama school what would be your advice to her oh gosh that's a good question isn't it Um, I think there might be a few things. I think there might be um, go towards your pain. Don't try and run away from it. Mm -hmm. Learn how to sit with the body and your sensations and go towards your feelings. Keep hold of your dreams because... Uh, you need to have a vision. You need to have something that's going to pull you through the tough times and the dark times. And it might take you two or three or four decades to get there, but it doesn't matter. Just hold on to something um, and, and believe in yourself. Fantastic advice there. So, Lou, I'm very sorry, but time always gets the better of us. Oh. We've got such great people to talk to. Oh, pleasure. And I just hope that it's been helpful for anybody listening. And if, you know, they need to know more or they need more help, I'm sure that, that, you know, they know where they can find me. So, um, yeah, go towards your trauma, please. And uh, you will be able to listen to this through. This is why the podcast is so fantastic, because Lou has given us so many golden nuggets there about progressing and dealing with trauma. Go back and listen to it because you'll always hear different things coming out. So I'd say thank you so much for joining us today. It's been wonderful being back with you. And of course, we will be back with you next week. But uh, for then, take care, look after yourself and uh, bye for now. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded in conjunction with the Chapel FM Art Centre and East Leeds FM radio station. For more information about them and all the good work that they do is www.elfm.co.uk. And to know more about what Linda Sage is doing, her website is www.lindasage.com. Also on all the other social medias.